0: Section 9 of Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. Chapter 5 The Contributing Cause of the Accident. Part 2. Mr. Malloy's Testimony Mr. Malloy, That telecon was a little late starting. It was intended to be set up at 8.15, and the telecon was begun at 8.45. And Thiokol will then present to you today the data that they presented to us in that telecon. I will not do that. The bottom line of that, though, initially was that Thiokol Engineering, Bob Lund, who is the Vice President and Director of Engineering, who is here today, recommended that 51L not be launched if the O-ring temperatures predicted at launch time would be lower than any previous launch, and that was 53 degrees. Dr. Walker, may I ask a question? I wish you would distinguish between the predicted bulk temperatures and the O-ring temperatures. In fact, as I understand it, you really don't have any official O-ring temperature prediction in your models, and it seems that the assumption has been that the O-ring temperature is the same as the bulk temperature, which we know is not the case. Mr. Molloy, you will see, sir, in the Thiokol presentation today, that it is not the case, This was a specific calculation of what the O-ring temperature was on the day of the January 1985 launch. It is not the bulk temperature of the propellant, nor is it the ambient temperature of the air. It was Thiokol's calculation of what the lowest temperature an O-ring had seen in previous flights, and the engineering recommendation was that we should not move outside of that experience base. I asked Joe Kilminster, who is the program manager for the booster program at Thiokol, what his recommendation was, because he is the gentleman that I get my recommendations from in the program office. He stated that, based on that engineering recommendation, that he could not recommend launch. At that point, I restated, as I have testified to, the rationale that was essentially documented in the 1982 critical items list that stated that the rationale had been that we were flying with a simplex joint seal. And you will see in the Thiokol presentation that the context of their presentation is that the primary ring, with the reduced temperatures and reduced resiliency, may not function as a primary seal, and we would be relying on the secondary. And without getting into their rationale and getting ahead, the point, the bottom line, is that we were continuing— The assessment was, my assessment at that time was, that we would have an effective simplex seal based upon the engineering data that Thiokol had presented, and that none of those engineering data seemed to change that basic rationale. Stan Reinerts then asked George Hardy, the Deputy Director of Science and Engineering at Marshall, what his opinion was. George stated that he agreed that the engineering data did not seem to change this basic rationale, but also stated on the telecon that he certainly would not recommend launching if Thiokol did not. At that time, Joe Kilminster requested a five-minute off-net caucus, and that caucus lasted approximately 30 minutes. The teleconference was recessed at approximately 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the off net caucus of Thiokol personnel started and continued for about thirty minutes at the Wasatch office. The major issues, according to the testimony of Jerry Mason, Senior Vice President for Wasatch Operations, were the effect of temperature upon the O rings and the history of erosion of the O rings. Mr. Mason: Now, in the caucus, we revisited all of our previous discussions and the important things that came out of that was that as we had recognized we did have the possibility that the primary o-ring might be slower to move into the seating position and that was our concern and that is what we had focused on originally the fact that we couldn't show direct correlation with the o-ring temperature was discussed but we still felt that there was some concern about it being colder we then recognized that if the primary did move more slowly that we could get some blow-by and erosion on the primary but we had pointed out to us in that caucus a point that had not come across clearly in our earlier discussions and that is that we had run tests where we deliberately cut large pieces out of the o-rings to see what the threshold of sealing was and we found that we could go to one hundred twenty-five thousandths of a cut out of the O-ring, and it would still seal. Approximately ten engineers participated in the caucus, along with Mason, Kilminster, C. G. Wiggins, Vice President, Space Division, and Lund. Arnold Thompson and Boisjoli voiced very strong objections to launch, and the suggestion in their testimony was that Lund was also reluctant to launch. "'Mr. Boygeley.' "'Okay. The caucus started, by Mr. Mason, "'stating a management decision was necessary. "'Those of us who opposed the launch continued to speak out, "'and I am specifically speaking of Mr. Thompson and myself, "'because in my recollection he and I were the only ones "'that vigorously continued to oppose the launch. "'And we were attempting to go back and re-review "'and try to make clear what we were trying to get across.' and we couldn't understand why it was going to be reversed. So we spoke out and tried to explain, once again, the effects of low temperature. Arnie actually got up from his position, which was down the table, and walked up the table, and put a quarter pad down in front of the table, in front of the management folks, and tried to sketch out, once again, what his concern was with the joint. And when he realized he wasn't getting through, he just stopped. I tried one more time with the photos. I grabbed the photos, and I went up and discussed the photos once again, and tried to make the point that it was my opinion from actual observations that temperature was indeed a discriminator, and we should not ignore the physical evidence that we had observed. And again, I brought up the point that SRM-15, flight 51C, January 1985, had a 110-degree arc of black grease, while SRM-22, Flight 61A, October 1985, had a relatively different amount, which was less and wasn't quite as black. I also stopped when it was apparent that I couldn't get anybody to listen. Dr. Walker At this point, did anyone else speak up in favor of the launch? Mr. Bojoli No, sir, no one said anything, in my recollection. Nobody said a word. It was then being discussed among the management folks. After Arnie and I had our last say, Mr. Mason said we have to make a management decision. He turned to Bob Lund and asked him to take off his engineering hat and put on his management hat. From this point on, management formulated the points to base their decision on, There was never one comment in favor, as I have said, of launching, by any engineer or other non-management person in the room, before or after the caucus. I was not even asked to participate in giving any input to the final decision charts. I went back on the net with the final charts, or final chart, which was the rationale for launching, and that was presented by Mr. Kilminster, It was handwritten on a notepad, and he read from that notepad. I did not agree with some of the statements that were being made to support the decision. I was never asked nor polled, and it was clearly a management decision from that point. I must emphasize I had my say, and I never would take away any management right to take the input of an engineer and then make a decision based upon that input, and I truly believe that. I have worked at a lot of companies, and that has been done from time to time, and I truly believe that, so there was no point in me doing anything further than I had already attempted to do. I did not see the final version of the chart until the next day. I just heard it read. I left the room feeling badly defeated, but I felt I really did all I could to stop the launch. I felt, personally, that management was under a lot of pressure to launch, and that they made a very tough decision, but I didn't agree with it. One of my colleagues that was in the meeting summed it up best. This was a meeting where the determination was to launch, and it was up to us to prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that it was not safe to do so. This is in total reverse to what the position usually is in a pre-flight conversation or flight readiness review. It is usually exactly opposite that. Dr. Walker, do you know the source of the pressure on management that you alluded to? Mr. Boisjoli, well, the comments made over the net is what I felt. I can't speak for them, but I felt it. I felt the tone of the meeting exactly as I summed up. That we were being put in a position to prove that we should not launch Rather than being in the position and prove that we had enough data to launch, and I felt that was very real. Dr. Walker, these were the comments from the NASA people at Marshall and at Kennedy Space Center? Mr. Boisjoli, yes. Dr. Feynman, I take it you were trying to find proof that the SEAL would fail. Mr. Boisjoli, yes. Dr. Feynman, "'And, of course, you didn't, you couldn't, because five of them didn't. "'And if you had proved that they would have all failed, "'you would have found yourself incorrect, because five of them didn't fail.' "'Mr. Boisjoli, that is right. "'I was very concerned that the cold temperatures would change that timing, "'and put us in another regime. "'And that was the whole basis of my fighting that night.' As appears from the foregoing, after the discussion between Morton Thiokol management and the engineers, a final management review was conducted by Mason, Lund, Kilminster, and Wiggins. Lund and Mason recall this review as an unemotional, rational discussion of the engineering facts as they knew them at that time. Differences of opinion as to the impact of those facts, however, had to be resolved as a judgment call, and therefore a management decision. THE TESTIMONY OF LUND, TAKEN BY COMMISSION STAFF INVESTIGATORS, IS AS FOLLOWS. MR. LUND We tried to have the telecon, as I remember it was about six o'clock Mountain Standard Time, but we didn't quite get things in order, and we started transmitting charts down to Marshall around six o'clock or six-thirty, something like that, and we were making charts in real time and seeing the data— and we were discussing them with the marshal folks who went along. We finally got the all the charts in, and when we got all the charts in, I stood at the board and tried to draw the conclusions that we had out of the charts that had been presented, and we came up with a conclusions chart, and said that we didn't feel like it was a wise thing to fly. Question. What were some of the conclusions? Mr. Lund. I had better look at the chart. Well, we were concerned that the temperature was going to be lower than the 50 or 53 that had flown the previous January, and we had experienced some blow-by, so we were concerned about that. And although the erosion on the O-rings, and it wasn't critical, that, you know, there had obviously been some little puff go through, it had been caught. There was no real extensive erosion of the O-ring, so that wasn't a major concern, But we said, gee, you know, we just don't know how much further we can go below the 51 or 53 degrees or whatever it was. So we were concerned with the unknown. And we presented that to Marshall, and that rationale was rejected. They said that they didn't accept that rationale, and they would like us to consider some other thoughts that they had had. Mr. Malloy said he did not accept that. And Mr. Hardy said he was appalled that we would make such a recommendation. And that made me ponder of what I had missed. And so we said, what did we miss? And Mr. Molloy said, well, I would like you to consider these other thoughts that we have down here. And he presented a very strong and forthright rationale of what they thought was going on in that joint, and how they thought that the thing was happening— and they said, We'd like you to consider that, when they had some thoughts that we had not considered. So after the discussion with Mr. Malloy, and he presented that, we said, Well, let's ponder that a little bit. So we went offline to talk about what we-Question: Who requested to go offline? Mr. Lund: I guess it was Joe Kilminster. And so we went off-line on the telecon, so we could have a round-table discussion here. Question. Who were the management people that were there? Mr. Lund. Jerry Mason, Cal Wiggins, Joe. I, Manager of Engineering Design, the Manager of Applied Mechanics, on the chart. Before the commission, on February twenty-fifth, 1986, Mr. Lund testified as follows regarding why he changed his position on launching Challenger during the Management Caucus, when he was asked by Mr. Mason to take off his engineering hat and put on his management hat. Chairman Rogers. How do you explain the fact that you seemed to change your mind when you changed your hat? Mr. Lund. I guess we have got to go back a little further in the conversation than that. We have dealt with Marshall for a long time— and have always been in the position of defending our position to make sure that we were ready to fly, and I guess I didn't realize until after that meeting, and after several days, that we had absolutely changed our position from what we had been before. But that evening I guess I had never had those kinds of things come from the people at Marshall. We had to prove to them that we weren't ready, and so we got ourselves in the thought process that we were trying to find some way to prove to them that it wouldn't work and we were unable to do that we couldn't prove absolutely that the motor wouldn't work chairman rogers in other words you honestly believed that you had a duty to prove that it would not work mr lund well that is kind of the mode we got ourselves into that evening It seems like we have always been in the opposite mode. I should have detected that, but I did not. But the roles kind of switched. Supplemental testimony of Mr. Mason, obtained in a commission staff interview, is as follows. Question. Do you recall Mr. Hardy and Mr. Malloy's comments after, I think after Mr. Kilminster had got done, or Mr. Lund got done, presenting the charts, They had some comments. Do you recall— Mr. Mason Oh, yes, it was over and over. Hardy said that I'm appalled at your recommendation. Question Well, did Mr. Hardy's appalled remark and Mr. Malloy's can't launch, we won't be able to launch until April, remark, how did that affect your thinking and affect your decision? Mr. Mason my personal thinking i just you know it didn't make that much difference and the comments that they made in my view probably had got more reaction from the engineers at the lower level than they would from the managers because we deal with people and managers all the time mr MacDonald indicated that during the period of the internal morton thiokol caucus he continued to argue for delay with malloy Challenging among other things, the rationale that the rocket motor was qualified down to forty degrees Fahrenheit, present were Reinerts, Jack Buchanan, the manager of Morton thiokol Launch Support Services at Kennedy, and Cecil Houston. Macdonald's testimony described that conversation, Mr. Macdonald, while they were offline reevaluating or reassessing this data. I got into a dialogue with the NASA people about such things as qualification and launch commit criteria. The comment I made was, is it my understanding that the motor was supposedly qualified to 40 to 90 degrees? I've only been on the program less than three years, but I don't believe it was. I don't believe that all of those systems, elements, and subsystems were qualified to that temperature and mr Malloy said well forty degrees is propellant mean bulk temperature and we're well within that that is a requirement we're at fifty five degrees for that and that the other elements can be below that that as long as we don't fall out of the propellant mean bulk temperature i told him i thought that was asinine because you could expose that large solid rocket motor to extremely low temperatures i don't care if it's a hundred below zero for several hours with that massive amount of propellant which is a great insulator and not change the propellant mean bulk temperature but only a few degrees and i don't think the spec really meant that but that was my interpretation because i had been working quite a bit on the filament wound case solid rocket motor it was my impression that the qualification temperature was forty to ninety and i knew everything wasn't qualified to that temperature in my opinion but we were trying to qualify that case itself at forty to ninety degrees for the filament wound case i then said i may be naive about what generates launch commit criteria but it was my impression that launch commit criteria was based upon whatever the lowest temperature or whatever loads, or whatever environment was imposed on any element or subsystem of the shuttle. And if you are operating outside of those, no matter which one it was, then you had violated some launch-commit criteria. That was my impression of what that was. And I still didn't understand how NASA could accept a recommendation to fly below 40 degrees. I could see why they took issue with the 53, but I could never see why they would have accepted a recommendation below 40 degrees, even though I didn't agree that the motor was fully qualified to 40. I made the statement that if we're wrong and something goes wrong on this flight, I wouldn't want to have to be the person to stand up in front of the Board of Inquiry and say that I went ahead and told them to go ahead and fly this thing outside what the motor was qualified to. I made that very statement. Mr. Malloy's recollections of these discussions are as follows. Mr. Malloy. Mr. Kilminster then requested an off-net caucus. It has been suggested, implied, or stated, that we directed Thiokol to go reconsider these data. That is not true. Thiokol asked for a caucus, so that they could consider the discussions that had ensued, and the comments that Mr. Hardy and I and others had made that caucus as has been stated was going to start at that point and mr Macdonald interjected into the teleconference at that point he made the first comment that he had made during the entire teleconference mr Macdonald testified for quite a while yesterday about his thoughts on this but he did not say any of them until this point at that point he stated that he thought what george hardy said was a very important consideration and that consideration was—and he asked Mr. Kilminster to be sure and consider the comment made by George Hardy during the course of the discussions—that the concerns expressed were for primary O-ring blow-by, and that the secondary O-ring was in a position to seal during the time of blow-by, and would do so before significant joint rotation had occurred. They then went into their caucus, having asked for five minutes— mr holtz it figures quite prominently in the discussion that you were quoted as saying do you expect us to wait till april to launch mr Malloy, yes sir dr walker is that an accurate statement or not mr Malloy, it is certainly a statement that is out of context and the way i read the quote sir and i have seen it many times too many times the quote i read was my god call, when do you want me to launch next april mr MacDonald testified to another quote that says you guys are generating new launch commit criteria now both of those i think kind of go together and that is what i'm saying i don't know whether that occurred during the caucus or subsequent to i just simply can't remember that mr holtz well never mind the timing Mr. Malloy, well, yes, sir, I'm going to answer your question now. I think those quotes derive from a single thought that may have been expressed by me using some of those words. I have not yet encountered anyone other than those at KSC who heard those words, so I don't believe they were transmitted over the net. The total context, I think, in which those words may have been used is, there are currently no launch commit criteria, LCC, for joint temperature, what you are proposing to do is to generate a new launch commit criteria on the eve of launch, after we have successfully flown with the existing launch commit criteria twenty-four previous times. With this LCC, that is, do not launch with a temperature greater than 53 degrees. We may not be able to launch until next April. We need to consider this carefully before we jump to any conclusions. It's all in the context, again, with challenging your interpretation of the data. What does it mean, and is it logical, is it truly logical, that we really have a system that has to be 53 degrees to fly? At approximately 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Thiokol NASA teleconference resumed, the Thiokol management stating that they had reassessed the problem, that the temperature effects were a concern, but that the data were admittedly inconclusive. Kilminster read the rationale recommending launch, and stated that that was Morton Thiokol's recommendation. Hardy requested that it be sent in writing by Telefax, both to Kennedy and to Marshall, and it was. The testimony of Malloy and Hardy regarding the remainder of the teleconference and their rationale for recommending launch follows mr malloy okay sir at the completion of the caucus of course mr kilminster came back on the loop and stated they had assessed all the data and considered the discussions that had ensued for the past couple of hours and the discussions that occurred during their caucus chairman rogers was it a couple of hours mr malloy yes sir we started at 845 and I believe it was probably eleven o'clock before he came back on the loop. It was a long discussion. And I must emphasize that I had no knowledge of what interchange occurred during the caucus at Thiokol, because all sites were on mute. We were on mute at KSC. No communications occurred between myself and Mr. Hardy at Huntsville, nor did any communication occur between KSC and Thiokol during that caucus after mr kilminster made that recommendation mr reinartz then asked if there were any further comments and to my recollection there were none there were no further comments made i then asked mr kilminster to send me a copy of his flight readiness rationale and recommendation the conference was then terminated at approximately eleven fifteen I have no knowledge of, as has been testified, of Mr. MacDonald being asked to sign that documentation. That would have been unusual, because Mr. Kilminster signs all flight readiness documentation. Now, after the teleconference was complete, Mr. MacDonald informed Mr. Reynerts and me that if the thiokol engineering concern for the effect of cold was not sufficient cause to recommend not launching, There were two other considerations—Launch Pad Ice and Recovery Area Weather. I stated that Launch Pad Ice had been considered by Mission Management Team. Chairman Rogers, excuse me, could you identify that discussion where that took place? Mr. Malloy? that was after the teleconference was completed, after Mr. Kilminster made his recommendation— after mr reinerts asked are there any other comments there were no other comments on the telecon from anyone i stated that launch pad ice had been considered by the mission management team before deciding to proceed and that a further periodic monitoring of that condition was planned i further stated that i had been made aware of the recovery area weather previously and planned to place a call to mr aldrich and advise him that the weather in the recovery area exceeded the launch commit criteria so i stated earlier when you asked what were the launch commit criteria one of them was that the recovery area weather has limitations on it the report we had that mr mcdonald confirmed was that we were outside of those limits now i must point out that that is not a hard launch commit criteria that is an advisory call and the lcc so states that it does require that we discuss the condition so at about eleven thirty p m mr cecil houston established a teleconference with mr aldrich and mr sestile at ksc i informed mr aldrich that the weather in the recovery area could preclude immediate recovery of the srbs since the ships were in a survival mode and they were moving back toward cape kennedy at about three knots and the estimate provided to us by mr sestile was that they would be probably forty miles from the s r b impact area at the time of launch at nine thirty eight and then continuing at three knots it was going to be some period of time before they could get back and locate the boosters the concern i had for that was not loss of the total booster but loss of the main parachutes for the booster which are separated at water impact and loss of the frustum of the boosters which has the drogue parachute on it which comes down separately because with the fifty knot winds we had out there and with the kind of sea states that we had by the time the recovery ships got back out there there was little probability of being able to recover those I informed Mr. Aldrich of that, and he decided to proceed with the launch after that information. I did not discuss with Mr. Aldrich the conversations that we had just completed with Morton Thiokol. Chairman Rogers, could you explain why? Mr. Malloy, yes, sir. At that time, and I still consider today, that was a Level 3 issue. Level 3 being an SRB element or an external tank element— or space shuttle main engine element or an orbiter there was no violation of launch commit criteria there was no waiver required in my judgment at that time and still today and we work many problems at the orbiter and the s r b and the external tank level that never get communicated to mr aldrich or mr moore it was clearly a level three issue that had been resolved there were twenty seven full-scale seal tests with an o ring groove damage tolerances damage in the grooves, and damage tolerance on O-rings. And then there were two cold gas tests. And these data were presented on the night of the 27th. All of that was at ambient temperature. And then we did discuss what is a development qualification motor experience range, and that is shown on the chart. We had experience everywhere from 40 to 85 degrees. There then were data presented on two cold gas tests at 30 degrees, where the O ring was pressurized at the motor pressurization rate at thirty degrees, which would indicate that an O ring would operate before joint rotation at thirty degrees. Dr. Ride: Was that actually in a joint? Mr. Malloy: No, it is not. It is a full scale O ring, full scale groove, in a scaled test device where the pressurize rate on that o-ring is zero to nine hundred pounds per square inch in sixty milliseconds at a temperature of thirty degrees dr walker you would say then the o-ring was qualified to a temperature of thirty degrees would that be an accurate statement mr Malloy, the day that we were looking at it on the twenty-seventh these two tests that we did indicated that it would perform at thirty degrees under the motor pressurization rate before the joint rotated dr walker what about let's consider the putty and the o-ring because that is really the system that responds to the pressure surge what temperature was the putty o-ring system qualified to mr Malloy, the lowest that i'm aware of and we're still flushing this out because this is kind of what we talked about on the twenty-seventh but the lowest that i'm aware of is the forty-degree test on one of the development motors dr walker and of course during those tests the putty was modified before the test the putty was not just laid up and then the seal made the putty was then smoothed out and some attempt was made to remove the volcanoes i think mr Malloy, because the horizontal assembly caused that Now there's one other significant point on this chart that we did discuss, that we didn't have the quantities on on the 27th, and I mentioned this earlier. We have 150 case-segment proof tests, with a large number of joints, with a simulation of a cold O-ring. That is the 90 durometer, with a .275, and that was at about 35 degrees. So those are the certification data that we kind of discussed all of which we didn't discuss, the two cold gas tests we did, the segment proof tests we did, the development and qualification motor test we did, as a basis for understanding what we could expect to happen at colder temperatures on the joints. Mr. Hardy testified as follows, Mr. Hardy, at the teleconference on the evening of January twenty seventh, 1986, THIACOL engineering personnel in Utah reviewed charts that had been data-faxed to Huntsville and KSC participants just prior to the beginning of the conference. Now, I am not going to repeat a lot of what you have already heard, but I will give you some of my views on the whole matter. The presentations were professional in nature. There were numerous questions and answers, There was a discussion of various data and points raised by individuals at Thiokol or at Marshall or at Kennedy. I think it was a rather full discussion. There were some fourteen charts presented, and as has been mentioned earlier, we spent about two, two and a half hours reviewing this. To my knowledge, anyone who desired to make a point, ask a question, or express a view was in no way restrained from doing so as others have mentioned i have heard this particular teleconference characterized as a heated discussion i acknowledge that there were penetrating questions that were asked i think from both from all people involved there were various points of view and an interpretation of the data that was exchanged the discussion was not in my view uncharacteristic of discussions on many flight readiness issues on many previous occasions thiokol engineering concluded their presentation with recommendation that the launch time be determined consistent with flight experience to date and that is the launch with the o-ring temperatures at or greater than fifty three degrees fahrenheit mr kilminster at thiokol stated to best of my recollection that with that engineering assessment he recommended we not launch on tuesday morning as scheduled after some short discussion mr Malloy at ksc summarized his assessment of the data and his rationale with that data and i think he has testified to that mr reinartz who was at ksc asked me for comment and i stated i was somewhat appalled and that was referring specifically to some of the data or the interpretation of some of the data that thiokol had presented with respect to its influence on the joint seal performance relative to the issue under discussion which specifically was the possibility that the primary seal may take longer to actuate and therefore to blow by the primary seal the blow-by of the primary seal may be longer and i am going to elaborate on that a little further in this statement and then i went on to say that i supported the assessment of data presented essentially as summarized by mr Malloy but I would not recommend launch over Thiokol's objections. Somewhere about this time, Mr. Kilminster at Utah stated that he wanted to go off the loop to Caucus for about five minutes. I believe at this point Mr. MacDonald, the senior Thiokol representative at KSC for this launch, suggested to Mr. Kilminster that he consider a point that I think I had made earlier, that the secondary O ring is in the proper position to seal if blow by of the primary O ring occurred. I clearly interpreted this as a somewhat positive statement of supporting rationale for launch. The status of the caucus by Thiokol lasted some 30 35 minutes. At Huntsville during this Thiokol caucus, we continued to discuss the data presented. We were off the loop, we were on mute we were around a table in small groups. It was not an organized-type discussion. But I did take that opportunity to discuss my assessment and understanding of the data with several of my key advisors, and none of us had any disagreement or differences in our interpretation of what we believed the data was telling us with regard to the primary issue at hand. When Thiokol came back online, Mr. Kilminster reviewed rationale that supported proceeding with the launch, and so recommended. Mr. Reinertz asked if anyone in the loop had a different position, or disagreed, or something to that effect, with the Thiokol recommendation as presented by Mr. Kilminster. There were no dissenting responses. The telecon was terminated shortly after— and I have no knowledge of any subsequent events or discussions between personnel at KSC or at Thiokol on this matter. At about 5 a.m. on January 28th, a discussion took place among Messrs. Malloy, Lucas, and Reinertz, in which Malloy reported to Lucas only that there had been a discussion with Thiokol over their concerns about temperature effects on the O-rings, and that it had been resolved in favor of launch. The following testimony of Mr. Malloy and Dr. Lucas recount that discussion. General Katina Larry, let me follow through on that, and I am kind of aware of the launch decision process, and you said you made the decision at your level on this thing. If this were an airplane, an airliner, and I just had a two-hour argument with Boeing on whether the wing was going to fall off or not, I think I would tell the pilot, at least mention it, why didn't we escalate a decision of this importance mr Malloy? i did sir general katina you did mr Malloy. yes sir general katina tell me what levels above you mr Malloy, as i stated earlier mr reinerts who is my manager was at the meeting and on the morning about five o'clock in the operations support room where we all were I informed Dr. Lucas of the content of the discussion. GENERAL CATINA But this is not in the launch decision chain. MR. MALLOY No, sir. Mr. Reynerts is in the launch decision chain, though. GENERAL CATINA And is he at the highest level in that chain? MR. MALLOY No. Normally it would go from me to Mr. Reinertz to Mr. Aldrich to Mr. Moore. End of section nine. Recording by Maria Casper